0: Thank you. All right. So I guess you guys got to pay attention, right? You don't have a choice. It's like, pay attention or... Never mind. I know. I got to behave myself. I am like on a personal commitment to behave myself. So we'll see how I do. Um, okay, we're on a series, and we're talking about God's infinite love for us, and, and specifically the visions that were given to Abraham and Jacob. Like they were all brought out into the night or into, into a darkness, into the mysteries of who God is. And they, they, they saw the infinite God. And that, that's, an, that's an amazing thing. That, for them to get the vision of heaven, to actually see heaven, maybe even with their natural eyes, it, it's just an amazing thing, I think. And so um, the other person that I wanted to talk about is Moses because he was drawn into darkness to connect with God because God's voice called Moses for, into the darkness so that he could meet with him. Don't you think that's strange <laughs> that, that God would actually want to meet you in darkness? Why? I thought, I thought God was the father of lights, right? Why is God always mixing up his metaphors in the Bible too? Do you ever wonder that? Wait, are lions good or lions bad, right? At the lion of Judah or the roaring lion that's going to eat me? Which one? So, but he does, and he mixes his metaphors. And I think that this one's, this one's important. Now, where um, where Abraham and Jacob, they get this vision of, of their purpose and of their destiny and of the covenant that God makes with him. You know, we were talking about how he numbers the sands of the beach and he says, your descendants are going to... That, but what's more, I'm gonna show you the universe, and that is going to be your that's that's gonna be your heritage, that's gonna be your destiny. Your descendants will number the universe, which is mind-boggling. How is that possible? It doesn't happen with Moses. And folks, trust me, I tried to force the text. You ever try to force the text to make the Bible say something that you wanted to say? It's hard to do. But I couldn't, I couldn't. Moses never had that type of a vision. I'm like, why? That doesn't make sense. How come Moses didn't get the same vision Abraham got? How come Moses didn't get the same vision that that Jacob got? He didn't get that promise where your offspring are going to multiply and and be the number of the sands and the stars in the sky. He didn't get that. He didn't get that type of a vision. He got something better. He was able to have this face-to-face encounter with God talking to God as one would talk to a friend. And we need to pay attention to Moses because he did something that no one else could do. He did something that Abraham couldn't do. He did something that Jacob couldn't do. And that was, he, they, both were, they both encountered God in the darkness, right? Remember that from the past two weeks? Abraham encountered God in a deep, dark sleep. Jacob encountered God on Jacob's ladder in the darkness wrestled at night with God. But when Moses does it, when Moses goes into the deep, dark cloud, when he connects with God on the mountain in the cloud, he comes down and his face is lit up. Why? I think we need to look into it. Why? What was different? What what did Moses do that was different than anybody else? And I think... God chose Moses. Moses had this, this level of favor on his life that no one else had because I think Moses figured out what the purpose and the meaning of life was. And that is to have encounter, have a connection with God. He encountered God. He didn't ask questions like, you know, uh, help, help me understand the Trinity or... Now, how many Bible verses can I memorize? He, wasn't, he didn't want to know about God. He wanted to know God. And Moses is the only one that, that God refers to him as a friend. You know? Isn't that interesting? So when Moses' sister and his brother started beating up on him because he married an outsider. Did you know that Moses married an outsider? He married outside of his clan, outside of the people of Israel. And they were like, they were like... You know, you can't write that stuff down about, you know, staying true to your cult and then you're married to somebody else. You're a hypocrite. So they started grumbling against Moses. And you know what the defense was? You know what God's, you know what God actually came to Moses' defense? And you know what, you know what what God told Miriam and Aaron? He says, don't pick on Moses because he's my friend. Isn't that cool? No one else got that privilege. So he's worth looking into, don't you think? All right, so let's let's take a look at it. And again, I think I think the reason why the, the quick answer is he wanted to encounter God. We know the stories, we know the miracles, we know that he parted the sea and hit a rock and all these kinds of things. But it, before that happened, there had been no miracles, and and at least for four hundred years, there had been no miracles of anything to that scale. So for Moses to step out on that level of faith, that that got God's favor. And I think that the purpose of it, because he wanted it, he had this, okay, so he didn't get the, the vision of the universe, but he got the vision of the burning, the burning bush. Just kind of like, huh? That's all he got was a burning bush? But he connected with God there in an intimate way. Um, tonight, uh, we're, uh, Jake Hamilton's coming back tonight, and he's gonna, you know, he's gonna do his thing again. Um, so we're excited about that. And the purpose of that is to connect with God, is to encounter God. And maybe you're just not, maybe that's not for everybody. I get that. There's, there's spiritual treks and there's, there's seasons and there's things and maybe you're just not ready for it. But I want to encourage you, if you, uh, well, you can't hang around God too long and not encounter him. That's all Jake's stuff, by the way. He didn't clean it up from last week. I know, prophets, right? Come on. He's not here. You know the rule. If you're not here, you can, I'll make fun of you from the pulpit, right? <laughs> prophets. But it's going to be a great night, so I want to encourage you to come out and encounter God. Okay, so you guys know the story, right? You saw the cartoon, and you saw the, the Charlton Heston Yule Brenner version, right, of, of Moses, which is the best. Okay, I saw the new one last night. What was it? Exodus. What's it called? Exodus, Gods and Kings or something like that. It's okay. Um, I, like, I like the Yule Brenner Charlton Heston version. I don't believe in reincarnation, but I believe Yule Brenner was the pharaoh. I just, he's got to be. He's just amazing. And then, okay, so that version and then the cartoon and this version, they all have... Um, you know, they all, have to, they all have to you know, rework the story, which is fine. I don't have problems with, I mean, it's a movie, right? You guys know that it's a movie. Okay, so it's not scripture. So they, they can change things. They have creative license to change things. Like, I wasn't even offended at Noah. I kind of liked the movie. I thought it was cool. But man, they just like, you know. Okay, so they all do it, right? Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because um, I think that, we have a, a misconception of Pharaoh based off of the movies. Because in each and every single movie, Pharaoh and Moses are what? They're brothers, right? And they grow up together. And they go on chariot races together. And they're competitive, right? And they're, they're buddies. So you've got the buddy thing going on. Because it's good storytelling, right? The whole, the whole two brothers that, that, are, that, that love each other, but then they end up fighting each other at the end. It's just good storytelling. But it's not in the Bible. And so, look, I'm not bashing the movies because I like the movies. And I actually, think there's probably a lot of inspired stuff in there, right? It's going to draw people to God. But what I want to highlight to you is that, um, first of all, we don't know if they were buddies or not. And second of all, the way that this is written, the way that I want you to see it for the rest of your life, Pharaoh is the devil, you can, you know what, feel free to even cross out Pharaoh in your Bible and write devil. Lucifer, Beelzebub. you just change his name. Because he is, we talk about types a lot when, 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 we, when we teach. So there's a lot of Christ types in the Bible. Abraham was a Christ type. Jacob was a Christ type. Moses is definitely a Christ type. Pharaoh, he is a devil type. I mean, he's a big bad one. I mean, some theologians will even go as far to say that he's kind of like an antichrist, that he's, he is possessed by the devil himself. Why? Because he's enslaved the people of God. So our problem when we approach the story is that we have an empathy built in because of the movies, and we empathize for Pharaoh. He's a bad guy. but we've been empathizing with him for a long time. So, oh, poor Pharaoh. You know, he's just, he had a bad dad, and he has issues, and he's jealous and stuff. So poor Pharaoh. But we like to empathize for those characters, those, those you know, the brother, the brother conflict thing. But see, that's not what's going on in this narrative. The devil is a bad guy, and Pharaoh is a bad guy. So I want you just to look at it with a new lens, okay? Look, the devil has gotten plenty of sympathy from Mick Jagger. It's over. Okay? It's just over. So he doesn't deserve any more empathy or any more sympathy. Don't feel sorry for the guy. This is where I'm, I'm learning how to behave myself, and I'm not calling him names. Can I get an amen? Remember when I did that once? Remember when I did that? I, I paid for that. Yes, I did. So I'm not gonna, Okay, so just don't call the, the devil bad names. You can. I don't... This, not, not from the pulpit. How about that? There we go. Okay. All right, so you guys know the story. And there was... Um, when Moses approaches... This is, we're going to change it. I'm rewriting scripture. When Moses approaches the devil and says, Let my people go... He, um, he says, uh, he, does, he doesn't say this. Let my people go so I can loot your country and start a nation and take away your workforce and completely undermine your economic system. He does not say that, does he? That's what happens. That was God's original plan. That's why Joseph went to Egypt so that he could loot the country so that we could get the resources out of Egypt. That, that was the purpose, folks. That was God's overarching plan. That's why Joseph went in. That's why when Joseph was was struggling with bad things, happening to good people, he didn't see the big picture. This is the big picture coming to fruition. We're gonna loot that country. Isn't that cool? All right. That's not what's communicated to the devil or the Pharaoh. What's communicated is, let my people go on a retreat for three days into the desert so that they can worship God. That is all that's asked of him. Isn't that interesting? So the whole purpose of the exodus is that so God's people can worship him. And the devil fears worship more than he fears an exodus of economic destruction. Think about that. The devil would have rather have had the country looted and a new nation started for material gain than to have the people of God worship him. That's what that's what he fears the most. Um, got brothers and sisters? Okay, I have a I have a 25-year-old sister. There's 18 years between us, and you know, even me as a grown man, I, I fight with my sister in the back seat of the car. No, oh, you stay on your side. No, you stay on your side, Mom. He... Alexander's crossing the line again. I know. It's 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 really sad that we ha- They raised two only children. We don't know how to share. We don't play well with others. We're competitive. Okay, competitive families. Any competitive families in the room? All right. And when you fight, when you wrestle, and you got your brother or your sister on pinned on the ground, and you got the arm behind the back, what, what gets yelled? What gets yelled? Uncle! Right? Okay, so when, you, when you're losing, or when your opponent is losing, when you're beating up your brother, or when Aunt Pat... And Pat has passed her on the ground, making him say uncle. But she was meaner. She pinched too, right? Pinched and socked. She's mean. Fights dirty. You yell, uncle. What happens when you step back from your sibling or your friend after uncle? What happens? They sucker punch you, right? They get, you just go right back to it. It's revenge, The devil is no different. The devil lies. He's sneaky. He cheats. He yells uncle, and then then he'll sucker punch you. So the whole purpose of this is don't let him off the ground. Don't give him an inch, and don't listen to his lies. He yells uncle. And then we see the reason why we want to talk about Moses is because we see him work through this and we see him, in a sense, negotiating with the devil, trying to figure out this. This is the very first time that there, there's full-blown spiritual warfare outside of the garden going on. We've got to pay attention to how his schemes and how he works. We need, to, we need to know our enemy a little bit. Okay, so, let my people go so that we can worship him in the desert for three days. When you want to worship God, when you want to have an authentic encounter that is relationship-based, where you're going to throw away all the religion, when you're going to throw away all the, the trappings and the systems of trying to get a hold of, or try to put God in a box, when you're raw and you want to connect with God, the enemy of God is going to lie to you. And devil lies to the people of Israel when they want to go and worship. You know what the first thing he says? He says, you guys are lazy. Lazy, lazy, lazy. Have you ever felt guilty coming to church because you know that your, your yard needs to get mowed? And you've got other things to do that are more important than church. This is the only day that I have off. i I got to do these things. Have you ever felt guilty about that? Like, for some reason, you feel lazy because you're coming to church. That is, that's the devil. That's the devil lying to you because he doesn't want you here worshiping. So that's the first thing that gets labeled on the people of God. He says, no, you can't go. You need to stay. It's the B word. You need to stay busy. Do you sometimes feel like you're just way too busy? Like you're even too busy to worship God? See, that's the first lie in this story that the devil tells them. He says, look, you, you people are lazy and you need, to, you need to continue to work seven days a week. That's your mindset. You get no break. That's why Sabbath is instituted after this, by the way, because it was a counteraction to what the devil's scheme was. The devil's scheme was to keep you busy and not, so you're focused on things and busyness and not God. So that's the number one lie that comes in. You're lazy, and you know, you got better things to do with your time than to worship God. That was the first thing. Then all these, all, I guess you could say all heaven gets unleashed on Egypt, right? Frogs and gnats and the flies, and it's really, it's horrible. And so... Uh, So, of course, you know, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. I should say, excuse me, devil's heart is hardened. Devil's heart is hardened. I'm not going to let you go and worship. You guys are losers. You guys are lazy. You guys blow it all the time, and you know that you blow it all the time. So why bother? Your hands are dirty. You can't raise them. God says, I got other plans. Here's my, here's my wrath against you, devil. And all these things get released, right? Bugs and gnats and flies and frogs, and it's gross. Uh, J- Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. This is his response. Pharaoh says, uncle, because this is, this is affecting everything. It's affecting his ec- economic base, these plagues are ruining business. Uh, the, the, the priests are having a hard time competing with Pharaoh at this point. So Pharaoh says, uncle, verse, verse 25, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and he said, go and sacrifice to your God. Uncle, you guys win. Okay, pay attention. What's he say? You see it? Underline it. Go, sacrifice to your God here in Should change the Bible here too. Here in my land. You see what the the devil wants you to do? Worship is o he is actually okay with worship. Just as long as it's in his territory. Just as long as it's under his, his terms, under his conditions. So he's okay. He's okay if you if you if you come in and you just. You know, you worship, sing hallelujah, but you're not living a lifestyle of worship. So he'll take your mediocre worship. He's okay with it. That's kind of tough, huh? You're apathetic, half-hearted, insincere worship. He's completely okay with it because you're worshiping in his land at that point. Um, it, actually, it's, a, it's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as mediocre, half-hearted worship. That does not exist. Worship is either it's it's extreme or it's nothing. Do you you see what I'm saying? So if it's half-hearted, if you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth, then you're just not worshiping. And so we can buy into this lie that I, I went to church and I worshiped today. Didn't really do anything for me. You know, I, I didn't really get anything out of it. Wasn't really, didn't move me. And you know what? If you're okay with that, so is the devil. He's com- he's completely okay with it. Then he says, "Okay," he goes on. Kind of, he says uncle a little bit more. Verse 28, then Pharaoh says, excuse me, devil says, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. So you can't go all the way in. I want you to have one foot in and one foot out. I want you to continue to have your secular life and your spiritual life. That's what I desire. That's what the devil says. He's completely, he is, he is more than okay with you uh, having this, uh, with you sectioning off your life between the sacred and the secular. He's okay with it. It doesn't happen. God actually hardens the devil's heart more, they don't, they don't get to go. And then we get some more stuff, all right? So we get the livestock that are stricken. Then we get hail and fire from heaven. The devil concedes again. Okay, this is interesting. The devil says, in uh, chapter 9, verse 27, the devil says, uh, he summons Moses and Aaron, and he says, this time I have sinned. He says, uncle, this time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is right, and my people are in the wrong. Pray that the that, that God will come in. Okay. Um, the devil is, is the father of what? Lies. So whenever there is concession, whenever he concedes, whenever it seems like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, I'm being too hard on you. You can worship. Don't go too far. I want, I want to keep you close. One foot in, one foot out is okay. Don't go too far. And then maybe you get this, this righteous indignation boiling up inside of you where you begin to maybe you have a revelation of who this guy is. Okay, notice no bad words coming out of my mouth. No name calling, behaving myself. You see who this guy is. And he says, oh, please forgive me. Okay, this, is the, this is the most applicable message that actually overlays onto your life. This is not ancient history we're talking about here. This is your life. If you want to see yourself as Moses, go right ahead. If you want to see yourself as the children of Israel, you are. And so whenever the, whenever the enemy of God comes in and concedes and asks for forgiveness, he will do that because he is the father of lies and he wants to keep you on the hook. Whatever, whatever compromise you can give him, he will take it. Chapter 10, we have the locusts, they come in, they're everywhere. Again, it's disgusting. Moses refuses to, or the devil refuses to humble himself. And once again, he can't take it. It's, just, it's killing his system. He yells, uncle, I give. And this is what he says. Chapter 10, verse 10. Devil said, The Lord be with you. Isn't that nice? Oh, devil's so nice. He's actually blessing me. The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. Okay, once again. Okay, it's like a backhanded compliment. Oh, you're so nice but if I let you do this, you're going to be a bad person. Pew! You see that. You know people that do this to you? Oh, you're so sweet. Too bad you're so dumb. Right? So you get these types of, again, these are lies. And this is when the, the enemy of God, he comes in and he'll, he'll lie to you. And you can't believe the lie. And so what's going on here with the people of God, and what might be happening to you right now, is he's coming in and he's saying, um, okay, 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 I give. I give, uncle, uncle, uncle. Lord bless you. But, you know, if you, give, if you give everything, if you want to transform your family line, well, you're just downright selfish and evil. You're a bad person. Don't you remember that you're a bad person? Hey, let me help you remind you of all those horrible things that you did. You're a bad person. You're evil. Okay, keep that in mind, people of God. I, I, I know a lot of things. I'm the devil. You are bad. Because we partnered together. Remember that. You, you, see, you catch me. He says, you can't really worship because you're evil. So lie number two, do you see? Lie number one, he says, you're lazy. You don't have time. Church is a waste of time. A waste of time. Lie number two is you're just evil. You are a bad person. Let's not forget who your identity is. Let's not forget all the fun times we had together. You're bad. Then he says, No, you can't go. Have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. Once again, he's lying. There's, there's nowhere where Moses says, you know what, can we just have a men's retreat? And we're gonna go have a we're gonna go on a big giant mandate out in the out in the desert. We're gonna beat our chest. That's all we want from you. See, that doesn't happen. Moses, Moses says, I want to take everybody with me. I want to take fathers and sons and wives and husbands and kids and our animals. And we're all going to go out into the desert and we're going to worship God in spirit and truth. Devil lies and says, you just want the men to go out to have a, you know, a man fest. See, do you, really, you want to know what really is going on here? The devil wants to, he wants to bring division into your family. He doesn't like unity. When a, when a husband and a wife are unified in the spirit, it's one flesh and it's a powerhouse. It's unstoppable. Victory happens when there's one flesh. When a family unit can worship together. husband, wife, kids That's kind of why I'm excited about tonight, because we don't have child care. There'll be kids like running around. You can't let your kids play in the parking lot. You are responsible for your children, folks. All right? I'm just saying, there's no child care. You're responsible for your kid if you come tonight. Don't let them run out. Worshiping as a family is what, it's what God fears. I God fears. It's what the devil fears the most. It's what God desires the most. Do you know that is his heart's desire to see families worshiping multiple generations in one building, multiple cultures in one, genera- in, in, in one building worshiping? That's the heart of God. That was his vision from day one. That's, that, was, that was the day of Pentecost. They were all in the building. Oh, they were all worshiping in spirit and truth. Freaked the devil out. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's gorgeous. His number one strategy in our culture is to divide your house. He wants to get into your marriage. He's going to set lies into your marriage. He's going to say stuff like, you know what? Um... Your wife really doesn't love you. Or she doesn't love you as much as you love her. Or he'll say things like, uh, you know, it is not natural for a man to be monogamous. It's not natural. So you can, you can just sleep with that whoever you want. You know what? You're, you're, you're 50-something, it's time to trade up. You no, know, go get yourself a Corvette, and I, I'll behave. <laughs> I'm trying. Okay, <laughs> this is me. This is me demonstrating control, <laughs> so I could really take it in a bad spot. And then he's gonna he's gonna go after your kids. You know this to be true, and I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push on you really hard. Um, do your kids spend more time in the world than they do in worship? Now, I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about the lifestyle of worship. John, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Ruth are absolutely amazing. Pastor Michael and Pastor Jennifer, Adam, absolutely amazing. They're discipling your kids right now upstairs. But you know what? They're not responsible for your kid's spiritual development. You are. This is one of the big lies that the American churches has accepted, saying that, okay, the youth pastor is responsible for my child's spiritual development, so here you go when you kick the kid into the youth group. And it's like, should I behave? I'm going to behave. Okay, sorry. I'm just, oh, man. The spirit of naughtiness is just, like, all over me. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, it's the, devil. it's the devil. That's right. Oh. It's it's it. Okay. Okay. I'm the spiritual head of my house, right? I'm one flesh with my wife, and we are responsible for Sophia's spiritual development we hold an umbrella over our house. And if I have allowed the enemy of God to sow seeds of lies into my heart, if I believe them, if I have entertained sin, if I have unrepentant sin in my heart, bitterness that I have been harboring, I begin to poke holes into my umbrella. And, but it's okay if I get wet, right? Because I'm not hurting anybody with my own sin. It's wrong. Again, big giant fat lie from the devil because if I poke holes in my umbrella, my wife will get wet and my daughter will get wet. The sins of the father, the sins of the mother, they get passed down from generation to generation and they need to be broken. The devil does not want you worshiping with your family. He is hell-bent on destroying it. Whatever you got to do to save your marriage, do it. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Go to a 14-week class on marriage. Sacrifice the time. Go to counseling. Go to lunch with me. I'm not very good at marital counseling. I'll say stuff like, just, just straighten up. What's a, the what's a, what's a matter with you? That, that, that's my... Pastoral counseling advice. That's why you should see Kathy Gilkey. Raise your hand, Kathy. Aaron and Kathy Gilkey. They're, they're trained. They're licensed. They're really good at this stuff. I, I'm not. devil wants to separate your families. He fears families that worship together. All right. devil's heart gets hardened. He still doesn't release the people. Okay. Here comes the most, in my opinion, most fascinating thing. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 21. Again, more plagues that are released from heaven, you know, bent on getting the devil to release stuff, release the the people of God. And then, um, okay, you have any, how many people watch the History Channel or are like Egyptians, Egyptology, this kind of stuff? Only a few of you? Okay, okay. Egypt has a really complex pantheon of gods. It's really complicated. It's amazing. I mean, I like this kind of stuff. I like mythologies and things like that. It's really cool. Really really complicated, but okay, just th- I'm sure everybody's going to get this quiz. Who do you think the number one god is in Egypt? Ra, the sun god. Right? And, and rightfully so. So they, they, I mean, it's the biggest thing in the sky, right? I mean, everybody, all cultures are drawn to the sun. And so it is no, it is no, I mean, obviously the, the Egyptians are going to worship the sun. And they were smart. And actually, the Egyptians were, they were really optimistic, happy, positive people. Did you know that? They, they were, they, whenever you see Egyptian statues, they're all, they're all proper. They look nice. And most of them smile. Did you notice that? They were happy people. They were provided for. The, the main reason why is because they could, they could pinpoint the, the day or the week when the, the Nile was going to flood. It was going to flood in. They were going to get their crops watered. They had it all planned out. Life was really easy for, the, for them. And they knew that the sun was the source of all life. So they were very optimistic and happy people. Unlike the Mesopotamians who were like, you know, bad things happened all the time. Like, they never knew when someone was going to flood or when there's going to be a drought. And so, you know, they have a really pessimistic outlook on life. But, I mean, it's the, the sun god, Ra. There was even a revolution with, with uh, Atten. Um, Amenhotep decided, to, okay, you know what, We've, this is too complicated. Let's just make one god. So they actually experimented with, with monotheism right around the time that we're talking. I mean, close to it which is interesting. It's like, did they really know God? Did this, did this Pharaoh know God? It's possible. Because they made one God. And, but he was, he was still Otten. He was the sun God. But there was only one God. So the sun God was a big deal. That's who you worship. That's who brought life. So all these nasty plagues happen. They could never, even though, even though Pharaoh conceded, he always cried uncle, he was always broken. This one broke him for good. Listen. Verse 21. Then the Lord says to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness, that can be felt. I think that's cool. I mean, you know, you turn the lights off, it's dark. You can kind of stumble around. Your eyes adjust. You know, you pick up some... Natural light, maybe some starlight. Have you ever been in a cave? Mako and I once took the youth group into a cave. That was fun. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Never take teenagers into a pitch-dark cave. But that was, okay, you, your, your eyes couldn't even adjust. You couldn't even find stars in the sky. Because so, you're, you're in a cave with Ethan Marshall. And um, I, what's that? Yeah, I know.. Yeah. He's not here, so I can make fun of him. Oh, behave. Behave. All right. Um, so a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and told darkness covered all of Egypt for how many days? Three days. That's interesting. No one could see anyone or leave his place for three days. Here we go. Yet, all the Israelites had light in the place where they lived. That's cool. So there was this darkness that can be felt. It was probably spiritual. It was, uh, and it was, you couldn't see each other. You couldn't sense each other. Three days of not being able to connect um, there's a philosophical description of hell uh, outside of Christianity, outside of Judaism. Um, one philosophical description of hell is, uh, is being an entity with the, with that, without the capacity of your senses. So if you were a spirit, and if you could not see, touch, hear, smell, or feel, that would be hell. Because you'd be in complete darkness without any senses to interact with anything. That's one definition of hell. And so they were in hell for three days. But what really was going on is, is Yahweh is mocking the devil. We know this. He's good at it. He's, he's really good at, um, at, 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 at making fun of the devil. It's the spirit of naughtiness that Yahweh has. And it is okay to, it is okay to take this mindset because it's better than the alternative. The alternative, okay, whenever the devil does things, whenever he comes into your life, whenever he makes a move, a spiritual attack, you have, you have two options. You can either laugh at his advances, and you can make fun of him. I choose to do that. Or you can live in fear. Oh, the devil's hiding behind the bush, and he's going to jump out and get me. Oh, I'm under spiritual warfare and all these bad things are happening. I knew they were going to happen to me. I had this sense, I had this dream and they came true. It's self-fulfilling prophecy stuff. You notice I'm not saying bad words. Hmm? The devil or the God prepares the table. He sits us at the table, but he also sits the devil at the table to make fun of him. That's in Psalms. All right. He's making fun of Ra. He's making fun of the thing, the very thing that the Egyptians and the Pharaoh and the devil are worshiping. He's mocking Ra by taking out the light. Um... Here's another mix of metaphors. Okay, so the devil's the father of lies, right? And he's dark and he's evil. He's got he's got horns. Pitchfork, right? I mean Halloween stuff, right? Paul also describes the devil as an angel of light masquerading to deceive us. See? Ra was an angel of light that masqueraded and deceived an entire country. And this applies. This applies in a powerful way because the angel of light, he's going to come into our lives and he's, he's going to, this is the difficult, this is what we have to work on. When we start moving into hearing God's voice and understanding the prophetic, you've got to realize that you've got the father of lights that we need to be listening to, but we also need to be ignoring the angel of light because he's going to come in and he's going to he's gonna be pouring things into your heart. I mean, this is confusing, right? You're probably freaking out. How am I going to know between you know, the father of lights and the angel of lights? They're both coming in as light. Why does God mix his metaphors? Here's what you do. Here's, here's the answer. When the angel of light comes in, and he presents something to you, it's easy. Like, it's very clear. Like, how many people want a clear description of what's going to happen in your life? Like, you want to get the lottery numbers. Hmm? You want everything planned out. You don't want any guessing. You don't want any surprises. You want to have complete control, and you want it to be easy. Well, you've got to be careful of the angel of light then because he's going to present things to you. It's going to be wide. It's going to be easy. It's not going to be confusing. And it's going to make you feel good. He made an entire country feel good about themselves, lied to them. When the Father of lights comes in, ironically, he draws you into dark places. Mystery. And in these, you know, when he drew Moses in, when he drew Jacob in, when he drew Abraham in, did this, this darkness, that could be felt. You know what else was there? Complete mystery, faith, the unknown, but Peace. Have you ever been drawn into a sure thing? Like, like I got a deal for you, you're gonna make a million dollars on this multi-level marketing scheme. And like, sign me up. This is fun, this is easy, this is this is fast cash, I'm in. I don't feel peace about it, but I'm in. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had those feelings? It's angel of light. There is no easy way. Gospel is extremely simple to understand. It's extremely hard to live out. The angel of lights is going to present you a road that's wide. Jesus is going to present you a road that's narrow. That's the way he works. Verse twenty-four. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and he said, "Go, uncle." Excuse me. Then devil summoned Moses and said, "Uncle." Go and worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. See, he's conceding, right? I'm such a nice guy. I'm going to let you go. Okay, you can actually go into your land. So I'm not going to dictate the circumstances or the place anymore. I'm not going to make you have one foot in and one foot out. Okay, you can actually go into your land. You can even take your family. Okay, I'm okay with that. Okay, But... Only leave your flocks and your herds in this land. Uh, Pastor Josh, I don't have any donkeys. I don't, I don't have a sheep. I guess I could. I have a big, giant jaw, dog, and it, I, it, it's got, it looks like small cattle. It's huge. I, you know what he's saying? He's saying, All right, uncle, I give. You guys can go. I'm such a nice devil. You guys can go. Just leave your resources here. Leave your money. Leave your gifts. Leave your abilities. Leave your property. Just leave it all here. You guys can go. I'm such a good guy. I free you now. Liberation. Freedom. Nah. There's always a string attached when you deal with the devil. Don't deal with them. And those are the three things that we need to pay attention to. Don't worship God on the devil's terms. Don't let him come in and rip off your family to break up unity, to divide your marriage, to divide your kids. You're responsible for your kid's spiritual development. Don't let him lie to you saying, you know what? Just leave your resources here. The body of Christ doesn't need your gifts and your abilities and your resources. Just they're doing just fine. But if you want to go into the promised land, if you want to have an encounter with God, those are the three things that we need to focus on. If I got the band and the ushers to come up to the front. I'm going to give you a little snapshot of the heart of Moses that, w- that made him different than anybody else. In verse 11, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. You know what this one is. This is the one that doesn't seem fair. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbor, neighbors for articles of, silver and gold. Okay, here, catch this. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably, favorably disp- uh, dispose towards the people and Moses himself. Excuse me, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. All of this horrible stuff happens. And we, we, when we read this, we skip over this. We don't really see what was going on. All of this horrible stuff happens. God mocks Ra publicly in front of everybody. The, the magicians, the court magicians, they all give up. Their parlor tricks don't work anymore. They're on their way out. They've established, okay, these are the terms. We get to worship in spirit and truth Out of your land, with our families, with our resources. And then the last and final, probably the world's greatest temptation is placed upon Moses. This is why he's special. This is why he's above everybody else. Because he had defeated the devil, Pharaoh, and he had gained favor with the officials and the magicians and the entire country. He was positioned to be the king. It is the greatest. And he had every right because he was the prince of Egypt before. So he had a birthright to take over the country. And he had the political right to take over the country. It had been the world's greatest coup d'etat. He would have been, he would have been pharaoh. He would have, been, he would have ruled the world. And he chose to worship with God's people in the desert instead. That's a man of character. Let's pray. Father, right now, we just... We, do, we, we desperately desire encounter, God. We want to we wanna meet you in the mysterious places where you can do a deep, dark work in our hearts. And, God, we relinquish all these insecurities of wanting to control and wanting to know the future and wanting to have a clear plan, wanting to have a wide path. And, God, I just pray that we you just forgive us of our lack of faith. And I pray that we will be like Moses And we will not be like the children of Israel. It says, we want a mediator, God. We don't don't want to connect with you. So God, right now, I just pray that there would just be a, a supernatural desire to have an intimate relationship with God, where we desire to meet with him face to face and where our faces shine like Moses. God, forgive us for petty fighting and materialism and succumbing to the ways of this culture, And I pray that you will just lead us into the desert. Pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us into the desert because that's where we belong. Father, right now, bless this offering in your name. Amen.